with you to worship together, celebrate what God has done for us in Christ, and we're so thankful. Uh, if you are visiting with us, we especially welcome you to our assembly this morning. We invite you to come back and be with us again whenever you can come. You're always welcome here at the Hoover Church of Christ. We wish you a happy Mother's Day today, and uh, we appreciate the influence that ladies have had in our lives, our moms, uh, just the way that they've shaped us, and we appreciate uh, all of our uh, ladies here at the Hoover Church, and we've got folks who are visiting today because today's Mother's Day, I'm guessing, and uh, we appreciate it. I met some of you, I think we appreciate your being here, maybe to be with a mom or grandmom, or, um, anyway, we're glad you're here today, and we hope today is a, a fitting celebration of that. We're going to, today we're going to be talking about some things related to our children, um, and I'm going to, I'll say more about that in just a minute. As I've done the last few years here at Hoover on Mother's Day, I want to read something to you. Um, I, if, you were, if you've been around Hoover for a little while, you may remember a couple of years I read something from, well, it's actually a blog post that went really viral. I mean, it went all over the place uh, from a lady whom I don't know. Her name is Amy Young, but it's called The Messy Middle, and she wrote something, I think about three years ago, about moms, and it was called The Wide Continuum of Mothering, and I read that a couple of years. She wrote something recently as a follow-up to that, and what she's trying to do and what we want to do is to honor people here in a fitting kind of way, and we want to honor women in general and to recognize that, you know, the, the idea of being a mother is what a blessing it is and, and how God uses mothers to shape us. But we also want to recognize that mothering looks different, you know, and it's, we, we come here today, probably many people in this room are experiencing a lot of different emotions, I'm guessing, from happiness and excitement to maybe there's also some sadness and some regret in certain situations. There's some unfulfilled dreams and expectations, perhaps. Anyway, Amy Young wrote a follow-up to that thing that I read a couple of years here at Hoover, and I want to read that follow-up to you today, and what she does is she kind of traces this idea through Scripture and just looks at some different women, just very, very briefly, but just uh, thinks about how, uh, well, the title of it is Beyond the Surface of Mothering. I want to read that to you, and then I'm going to pray with you as we enter into our worship today. Uh, but she writes this, again, it's called Beyond the Surface of Mothering. I posted it on Facebook earlier this morning, if you are interested in reading this on your own or sharing it with someone perhaps. She writes, Forgive us when we assume that what we see on the surface is all there is to your story. We know in our midst there are women and mothers who, like Eve, have children with serious rivalry. Like Hagar have been discarded for a new family and are mothering alone. Like Naomi have tasted the bitterness of a child's death. Like the mother of Leah and Rachel know what it's like to have one child favored over another by society. Like Hannah have been separated from your child at a young age. Like Mary have a complicated pregnancy story. Or like Tamar have tried multiple ways to become a mother. Or like Rachel have counted the months and years while other women in your family and circle of friends become pregnant. Who like Rebecca are drawn to one of your children more than the others. Like David's mother is raising children after God's heart, and though you rejoice in watching them, don't want to rub it in friends' faces. Like Ham's mother have children whose substance abuse can cause problems. Like Bathsheba have sick children who may die. Like Joseph and Benjamin experience the death of their mother. 
like Mary, have children with public legal situations and all you can do is watch. Like the Shunammite woman who, when told by Elisha she would become pregnant, replied, no, please do not mislead your servant like her, not wanting to open doors to hope, only to have them slammed in your face. Like Hannah, have known the provoking of a family member. Like many, watch their mother's age and waste before their eyes. Like Moses' mother reluctantly gave up her child because it wasn't safe for you to bring her child up herself. Or who, like Pharaoh's daughter, were called to love and nurture children that weren't yours by birth. Like Timothy's mother and grandmother are steadily and without much fanfare or recognition teaching your children about the truths of God's word, sowing seeds for eternity. Like the unnamed women who never quite fit into the norms of society, either never marrying or having children, yet wanting to, you're in our midst. We're called to be a people who rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Today our stage is big enough to do both. For the seen and known joys of motherhood, we rejoice and smile and celebrate with you. For the seen and known suffering in motherhood, we ache with you. For the private, unseen, and unknown joys of motherhood, like Mary, may you treasure them in your hearts. And for the private, unseen, and unknown sorrows and suffering of motherhood, may you know you don't always have to be happy in our midst. You're engraved on the palms of God, both the seen and unseen, held together by him. I thought that was a fitting uh, tribute and recognition of the different ways that mothering looks. Let's pray together, if you would. Father, you have been so good to us, and we thank you today, and we thank you for what you've done for us through Jesus, and that's why we come here today, to celebrate that and to reflect on what your word, your scripture says to us as we seek to be your people in a world that is, in many ways, hostile to, uh, to people who claim faith in Jesus. And today our country recognizes this day as Mother's Day, and as we've just read, we want to recognize and honor all the women in our midst today. We thank you for them. We thank you for what you're doing in them and through them to be a blessing to the people around them. Uh, we give you honor and glory and praise, dear Lord. And we're so honored to be your sons and daughters today. Please accept our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Today in our worship time, I'm going to be focusing on the theme for the month of May. Um, as John was talking to John Hunt was talking to us about last Sunday, Train of a Child. And I'm going to be using Matthew 19, 13 through 15 as our text today, where children were brought to Jesus to be blessed by him, and the disciples turned them away, or were trying to, and Jesus rebuked them and said, you know, don't, don't keep children from coming to me. So we're going to look at that text this morning and think about just the uh, wonderful privilege we have at Hoover to be a, a congregation with lots of little ones running here and there. It's an exciting time in the life of this church. And so we're going to reflect on that in our sermon time and some of our songs, I believe, and our reflections this morning will be along that theme. So I'd invite you, if you would, please stand. And we're going to have our scripture reading as we enter into this time of worship together. Scripture reading will come from Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. Then children were brought to him that he may lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went his way. Sing 577 to begin worship this morning. 577 will sing verses 1 and 2. You are Lord of creation and Lord of my life. Lord of the land.
seated, please. The song before opening prayer, 1014. 1014. We'll sing all three verses together. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Please reverently bow as we go to God. Father, we're so very grateful that we, as your children, can come together to worship you. We come proclaiming that we believe that you are the one and true and living God, that you created uh, all that we know to be in six days, and on the seventh day you rested. We confess wholeheartedly and with all belief that you are the God of Abraham, of Jacob, and of Isaac. We believe, Father, that you are here with us because you told us so. We believe that the Bible is your one and true uh, word, and we pray that if we worship today that everything we do is done according to that book that you've left behind for us. We ask that you be with us as we uh, realize how weak we are in an awesome task of worshiping a God as great as you. We need your help to do that. We ask that you be with us and strengthen us in this endeavor. We're so very thankful, Father, for so many blessings from you. Uh, we're especially now thankful, Father, for our mothers. Uh, some of us are missing our mothers. Some of us are still being raised by them, and some of us are caring for our mothers. Uh, but what a blessing they are. We know these blessings come from you. We're so thankful for them. We're thankful for their unselfish way that they have lived on our behalf. We're thankful for those mothers that have led us to Christ, that have showed us what a servant of Christ looks like by the way that they have loved their husbands and loved their children. We're so very grateful for them. We realize, Father, that with all blessings do come responsibilities. And so, Father, we're 
we ask you to help us as supporting roles to mothers, those of us that are husbands, those of us that are sons and daughters, um, that we support them and love them and help them uh, be the mothers that you wish them to be. It's our responsibility to do that, and we ask you help us do that. We ask you to forgive us for all the times that we made life hard on our mothers that we put ourselves first before them, even though they unselfishly served us. We're sorry for the times we caused them worry. Uh, we lived in a way that scared them. We ask you to forgive us of these actions. Um, we also thank you for the blessing of children. Without children, there wouldn't be mothers, and they truly are the, uh, the fruit of the womb. They're a blessing straight from God. We need to realize that as we look at these small children that they are a blessing from you and that with that blessing also comes a responsibility. Not only to fathers and mothers, but to all of us that uh, first and foremost, we show to them what God and God's love can be through the way that we live before them and treat them and help us all to take a personal responsibility to every child, not only our child, but all child children we come in contact with to uh, be an example that we need to be, to show them that God is loving and forgiving and kind. This is our prayer in Christ's name, amen. Now, we would like to sing together 1017. We'll sing all three verses together.
In Exodus chapter 12, God prepares the children of Israel for the tenth and final plague on Egypt, the death of the firstborn. He instructs Moses on the specifics of the Passover meal, the lamb, the blood on the doorposts, the unleavened bread, a meal that represented Israel's deliverance. And then in verse 24 of Exodus chapter 12, he says this, and you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Prior to his death on the cross, hundreds of years later, on Thursday night, Jesus observed this very Passover meal with his disciples. And he redefined the emblems of the meal. He said, this, is my, this, is, this bread is my body. This cup is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me, is what he said. You know, I doubt our children are very much different than those Jewish children back in the Old Testament times. And I wonder if those children asked, why is the sky blue? Why is grass green? Why do I have to do that? And I wonder if those Old Testament parents ever got frustrated by those questions like we do. But here are some questions that we shouldn't ignore. Mom, why do you eat that cracker that's passed by on that gold plate weekend every week on Sunday? And Dad, why do you drink from that little cup of juice every Sunday? As we partake of the Lord's Supper today, we remember the Lord's death. But at the same time, let's remember what a tremendous teaching opportunity this is for our children, for our physical little ones, but also those that are, that are spiritually young, that are babes in Christ. Let's pray together. Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your love, so thankful for your mercy, we're so thankful for your grace, and we're so thankful for your Son. Father, we're thankful for our little ones and the questions that they ask. But help us all to take the attitude of these little ones and be searching and be asking and never being satisfied. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity that we have to remember Christ. And we pray that you will help us to always do this, help us to teach our children this. Father, for this bread that we're about to partake of that is your son's body, nailed to the cross for our sins. We pray that you'll help us to partake of that in a manner that is pleasing unto you, that you'll help us to search ourselves and look at ourselves during this period of time. And we thank you so much for your son. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
Let us pray. Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we, we praise you, we honor you, we glorify your name. We humbly ask your forgiveness as sinners have mercy on us. And we're thankful for your son, a wondrous sacrifice, thankful for his blood. Father, we come to you as, as children asking you to teach us again the importance of that blood. We pray that you'll write the importance of the blood on our hearts and as we partake of this fruit of the vine, help us to remember that this is the blood of the new covenant that was shed for many, Father, for the remission of sins, and we're thankful for that. Help us to live our lives in a way that would glorify your Son. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.
Lord's Supper now. Having been completed, the elders have set this time aside for us to give. So let's pray. Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we love you. Thankful for all your many blessings. Thankful for the way that you've blessed us. Father, again, we come to you as little children. We pray that you would teach us again the importance of giving. Teach us to uh, give with a cheerful heart. Thankful for the work of the church here at Hoover. And we pray that you'll help these funds uh, to bless the kingdom all over the world. For in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Nine hundred twelve will be the song of encouragement if you want to mark that in your books nine hundred twelve and we'll sing two songs this morning before the lesson the first will be nine hundred ninety two nine hundred ninety two and we'll sing all three verses together can you count the stars of
And then the song before our lesson will be 1015. 1015. We'll sing this song through twice. Jesus loves the little children of the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Jesus loves the I hope you will join me in Matthew 19, the text we read earlier that Bart read for us. So glad you're here. Hope you've had a good weekend. I hope you enjoyed both days of spring, right? Didn't last very long. But it's good to be here. It's good to uh, be a part of uh, this worship service. I did not mention a minute ago about filling out an attendance card. Sometimes I forget to do that. Uh, we would like you to do that. If you would, just pass it to either end of the aisle. We'll come by and pick that up today. And uh, remember, visitor, either one, we've got a card for you to fill out. We would appreciate your doing that. Also, at the end of our service today, we want to honor all of our ladies who are present, all of our ladies. We're going to give you a flower as you leave the church building today. And some of our young people, a lot of our young people are going to be at the different exits here, and they're going to give you Ladies, uh, flowers you leave, so we want to honor you in that way. So look forward to that. That'll be happening at the close of service. So, as you know, if you were here last week, you've been looking at our bulletin, you know that the month of May, we're emphasizing this idea of train up a child. About three years ago, we, I say we, many of you, for the most part, lots of people in this church were involved in kind of redoing a big part of our children's educational program. And a lot of work, time, effort, blood, sweat, and tears went into, especially that children's wing as you go down that hallway to the right, you know, for our little ones up through the fifth grade. And then we did some work as well on the two rooms here for junior high and then our senior high room. You remember that? About, I think that was about three years ago when that happened. It's been a blessing to our church, as you know. If you've got kids or grandkids who have been attending here, it's just been a blessing to them. It's time for us to make a push. That's what we're doing in the month of May to, to try to make sure that those classes are covered by uh, teachers over the next. We're going to try to schedule all these classes, make sure that someone is scheduled to teach them, to supervise them through May of next year. So that's why we're talking about it this, this month. So today I'm going to preach a sermon for the next little bit on just... just um, this text here in Matthew 19, I'm going to look at the parallel text in Mark 10 a bit as well to help us to realize, I think, I think, you, I think all of us, you're not going to disagree with this. I, mean, I can preach on children and everybody, that's one of the sermons I can preach and nobody's going to say, well, I, I don't like that sermon, you know. I don't like kids or we don't want to emphasize taking care of kids here, you know. So I, I'm not trying to convince you of this necessarily. I'm just trying to help us to see, once again, the importance of this. There, there are things that we know to be important, but because of whatever, we get busy, we, we forget. 
And, and we cannot pay attention to some things that we need to be paying attention to. And, and this maybe is one of those things we just kind of assume that this is going to be taken care of, but we need to remember that it takes a collective effort of a lot of people to make sure that our children's classes are attended to by people who care for these kids and are concerned about their well-being. I've been to churches before. I've preached at churches before. I've been out of town. In fact, not too long ago, I mean, in the past, in the past year or two, I've, I've preached, been invited to preach at churches, and they don't have any kids. You've been to church, you've been out of town, you visited a church that doesn't have any kids? No? You've been to churches that don't have any kids, right? Um, that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. It doesn't, say, it doesn't say good stuff about the future of that church, you know? Uh, it, it says that, that something's happened, maybe a lot of demographics have changed, you know, cities have changed, a lot of... A lot of small towns are struggling because the kids grew up, they go away to college, they don't ever come back home to the small town, you know. And so sometimes you've got churches in small towns that are really struggling, rural areas often, because uh, kids go, go to college, then they move to wherever the job is, and often the jobs are in the metropolitan areas. And so you've got churches that <laughs> are struggling with that. We don't have that problem here. We don't have that problem. We've got lots of kids, and um, they'll be after the closing, amen, they'll be running here and there. And that's an exciting thing. It's, it's an exciting thing for, for churches to recognize that we have an incredible opportunity to be used by God to bless these little ones. Um, and so we're going to talk about that for the next little bit. Matthew 19, 13. I want to go ahead and read it. It's just three verses long. So let's, let's read this and just follow along if you want. Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. Then children were brought to him that he might lay hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Can I read the parallel account? You don't have to turn here. This one's in Mark 10. I, after the fact, I sort of wish I had used this one as a primary text. But let me read it to you. Mark 10, it's only four verses. But it includes a couple of things. Just listen to this. Mark 10, 13, beginning. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's talk about this text for a few minutes together, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time reflecting on what we might learn from it for our, our context, our church family here. In the ancient world, you may know this already, I don't know, the ancient world, they did not value children. Now, there are probably some reasons why in a lot of this, not just a Jewish context that didn't value children. This is more of a, more of a first century, uh, the world of antiquity did not value children a lot. And I think there's some, you know, people have studied this, why has it, it changed? And one of the reasons was, Many, many children did not survive infancy or they didn't survive childhood. Back in, back in that world, I mean, life expectancy, if you survived to adulthood, life expectancy still wasn't anywhere close to what it is now. But so that the infant mortality rate was so high, I think probably, and scientists have studied this sort of thing, but they speculate that probably the, the reason they treated children as they did, one of the reasons was that there, you needed to, for your own emotional well-being, you needed to maintain a little bit of emotional distance between you and your children. 
because there was a really good chance that this child would not make it. I mean, that he or she would not survive. It's kind of foreign to us today because we, we just kind of assume that everything's going to go well in the, in the birth of a child and that child's infancy and, and on into childhood and you know, adolescence and so on. Because most, most people do, not all of course, but most, most kids do. But back in the ancient world, it wasn't like that. So one of the things that had, I think, probably just kind of a self-protecting mechanism that people had developed is they didn't value children. It doesn't mean they didn't love them. I'm not trying to act like that the moms and dads didn't have emotional connections to their children. They did. It's just that society had developed this, this kind of attitude toward kids where, where um, they weren't valued as they are now. And also, I think in our own culture, things have changed in the last 50 years or so. Um, and, and I don't know, good or bad, I guess maybe different perspectives on this, but children have kind of become like the center of our society and family life and community life in many ways. Probably some good things about that, probably some things that aren't so good about it. But, um, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, it wasn't like that even in our own country. Some of that may have been because of high infant mortality rates, and, and, and some of it was just a cultural thing where children were, you know, they're just kind of on the margins. They weren't at the center. I remember... I've shared with you before, and you remember this. You know, back when I was when I was a kid growing up um, at church, we had a fellowship meal. Kids went last. You remember that? It, it, it was only it was only my little church that, that did that. Church, uh, they made us go last at our our church anyway, and and other I think it was like that in other places as well. You know, kids were weren't they weren't quite put to the front like they are today. So so attitudes have changed over time. So I'm guessing this is the way it played out. These mothers, maybe fathers, had their children. It was a Jewish custom oftentimes for children to be blessed by a rabbi. In fact, there are some examples of blessings that rabbis would give children in the Jewish world. Uh, there's one I was reading, in fact, of, about, of as a, this, this word, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean infants. It can mean children. Um, all the way up to teenage, you know, being teenagers. But I was reading one particularly about a 13-year-old son who was brought to a rabbi, and the rabbi would, pr- would put his hands on the child and would pronounce a blessing over the child. And, the, and the, the blessing that he said was something like this. You know, he prayed that God would bless this child and equip him to study the Torah, the law, what we call the Pentateuch, first five books of the Old Testament, that God would bless this child and equip him with the ability to study the Torah. That was a blessing that parents would want a rabbi to give to a child. So probably it's that kind of context. Probably some little kids, but probably don't, don't just think in your mind um, only little kids, only babies. It probably was kids older than that as well. So these parents were bringing their children to Jesus for a blessing. And the blessing would be accompanied by laying hands on the child. And I love the way this text tells it here because Jesus, Mark, Mark's account tells us this, that Jesus took them into his arms. I want to circle back to that in a second because I, I love that image. Uh, but So they're bringing their children to Jesus. And the disciples get upset. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I mean, how could, they, how could they get upset about this? But you've got to recognize they're, they're you know, they're, uh, I don't want to say brainwashed, they're conditioned by culture. They got a certain idea about, about children. They, they know they've been called by Jesus to be his helpers and they're doing some important stuff. I mean, Jesus is teaching people about salvation, right? Jesus is going around. He is doing some pretty deep and serious and very important stuff, right? And then these mamas and daddies are bringing their little ones to Jesus and the disciples are like, come on. He's got important stuff to deal with. He doesn't have time for your little brats. 
So just, you know, take your little ones, you know, do whatever you need to do with them. But we're doing important stuff. I mean, knowing what we know of the disciples, you can imagine that, right? That kind of attitude they may have had because they certainly, Peter, James, and John, and others in the group, they argued about who's the greatest and Jesus. In fact, you may remember that one of the occasions when Jesus specifically chose a child and invited that child to come into their presence was in response to an argument the disciples had about who's the greatest in the kingdom. So I don't know if that had gone on right here in Matthew 19. I don't know if that's happening. But the disciples are, they're, they're, I think they feel some self-importance here. I think they feel a little bit of, look at what we're doing. We're doing important stuff. Get your kids out of the way. We've got to get to the next village and talk to important people. The reason I like Mark's account of this is because Mark's a little bit more specific in Jesus' response. Jesus did not get upset with his disciples that much and that often. I think he, he was disappointed in their slow growth and, and various things. But the Bible doesn't specifically say they got, that he got upset with them very often. But it does here. And I think that's, that's kind of telling that one of the times, one of the few times when it says that Jesus became indignant toward his disciples is when they were trying to keep little ones from coming to the presence of Jesus. That ought to cause us to pause and to think, if I get irritated at kids... If I don't want to help, if I don't want to play my part in shaping the hearts and minds of kids, that doesn't say good things about my relationship to Jesus. That's one little clue in the, in the text here. One of the times he got upset with them was when they were upset with kids or the kids' parents. I'll say something to us as a church. We need to think about that. We want, and I think we are this kind of church. I think we are, we're a church who who's trying its best to take care of our children. We always want to be that, and we don't want to let our guard down and become a church that just kind of assumes that because they're here, they're going to be cared for. It takes effort. So, Jesus rebuked them. He rebuked them, and he said, let the, little ch let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. These are strong words, by the way. If you've read them, you understand Jesus is emphatic here, the way this text is worded. He, he becomes, I mean, he's upset. I wish we could see into the, mind, the face of Jesus here, you know, because he, he's indignant. And, he, and, and I don't know how you view Jesus, if you view him just kind of like, you know, Mr. Always Passive or whatever. Uh, I don't think that's what Jesus was like. I don't think he was like that. I think he got in the face of the disciples here and he said, look, don't you dare keep these kids away from me. Can you hear Jesus raising his voice? I'm pretty sure he did it right here. Don't you dare keep these kids away from me, guys. This is what the kingdom looks like. So don't, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. So they brought their children to Jesus. He says, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You guys need to spend more time around kids. And then it says this. This is Mark's account. Mark 10, 16. He took them in his arms and blessed them. Think about that image for a minute. This is, this is God, all right? This is God, Jesus, no less God, 100% deity. This is the God who said, let there be light, and there was light. This is the one who shaped this world, who created it and shaped it and made it what it is. 
This is the one. You look at Jesus in the book of Revelation. Scary images in Revelation 13 and other places. Scary image of Jesus who is going to dole out wrath on those entities, those world entities who have oppressed his people. This is Jesus who is going to oppress all of those who have rebelled against him and persisted in that rebellion. Look at Jesus in the book of Revelation. This is that Jesus whose hands are going to be, is go, are going to fall on those in wrath, okay? So you get this idea of he's the creator God, Genesis 1. He's the avenging God in the book of Revelation. And he's the God who scoops up a little two-year-old and takes that two-year-old blesses him. Isn't that, isn't that cool? I mean, isn't that awesome to think that this, just, this God who's, who's, who we can see, he's got flesh on, you know, he's, he's a human being, but he's taking this little, this little baby and he scooped that little baby up in his arms. And my guess is, I don't know what, you know, we don't know what Jesus looked like, but my guess is his features softened. And there was a smile on his face. And maybe he kissed that little child on each cheek. And he prayed over the child. He blessed the child. That's God. You want to you be like Jesus? Lots of stuff in the New Testament said about Jesus. But you want to be like Jesus? That's our goal as a church here, collectively, individually. We want to be more like Jesus, don't we? One of the ways you and I can be like Jesus is to take a little child... Maybe your child, your parents. But it doesn't have to be your child. But to use your words and your actions and your time and your effort to take a child and bless him or her. To teach him or her about Jesus. How can we be like Jesus? This, this text is telling us. This is, this is what Jesus was like. Let's think about what this means to us as a church. This is just practical stuff, you know. I mean, you already know this, but let's think about what this means. Two, two things here. Number one, children matter. Kind of gotten ahead of myself and said that already. You get that from the text. Children matter. Psalm 127, 3 through 5 says, Children are heritage of the Lord. I appreciate what Joel was saying in his communion thoughts this morning, reflecting on the Old Testament experience of Passover. That's, that's um, it's kind of... It's kind of neat, you know. You think about the Passover thing, and one of the things that it says, it says it with Passover, and it says it in other places in the Old Testament, that you observe Passover. And one of the reasons you observe Passover is that you want your children to ask. You want them to ask. It said right there in the text. When your children ask, this is what you tell them. And that's why I think it's important for our children to be here in the assembly, particularly when we take Lord's Supper. Because I want them to ask. And... and um, this church, by the way, moms and dads, we never get upset. We better never get upset about children asking questions during the Lord's Supper. I would love, we love to hear children asking the questions Joel was talking about. What are we doing? Why are you taking that? What is this about? Let them ask. Answer their questions. Not going to bother the rest of us. If you need to take them out back, that's fine. But answer their questions. This is a church is a communal thing. It's a family thing, and it's a a beautiful thing for children to be with us in the assembly and to be able to ask these questions. Children matter. 
that mattered to Jesus, they ought to matter to us. This goes along with that, but I want to make sure we get this specifically. Children's souls matter. They matter. Statistically speaking, statistically speaking, a person is much more likely to accept the Lord Jesus Christ, become a follower before the age of 18. There are many, many people who accept the Lord after age 18. In no way hear this to mean that we shut the door on evangelism after the age of 18. Only to say this. Jesus is making a point about children here in this text when he says, you need to become like this child. You don't need to keep them away from me. You need to invite them in, so you need to spend some time with them. And what he's saying is, you go, you go back here to these classes, you go down that right hallway, and you go, I mean, you go into the, you know, go into the two-year-old class, or go in there where the, where the four-year-olds are, or whatever, and you talk to them about these lessons, and, and I know they're, I mean, they're rambunctious, and they're kids, right? But they also soak it in. They learn, and they accept, and they're, I mean, their minds are open, they're not jaded by hurt and pain, and the experiences of this world, they're, they're not yet cynical. They, they can learn. Their souls matter. I read this week, I always question these because I don't know how they know this, but I read this week that the, the, the average child in America spends 53 hours a week looking at a screen. 53 hours a week. I don't know if that's right or not. Uh, my guess is the numbers, just, just you know, anecdotally, my guess is the number's really, really high. <clears throat> our kids are learning in our world today, learning lots of good things. And electronics are a neutral thing, you know? An iPad is a neutral thing. An iPhone is it's not, it's neither good nor bad. TV is just a thing. Internet's a thing. So all these are tools. They, they don't have any inherent value, good or bad. They're how you use them, as you know. And so we, we take things like that, though. We take, we take electronics, we take the Internet, we take the social media outlets and, and all the, the ways that our kids are... The age is getting younger and younger and younger. The average age that a kid gets his first smartphone is, is going down, down, down every year. So these are things that we need to think about as a church and as, as families to be... You know, reflecting on what, what does this mean for the intellectual, spiritual development, emotional development of a child. As a church, we need to think about this because we need to recognize that if a child, and I hope it's less than this, but if a child is spending seven or eight hours a day in front of a screen, we get them. We get them here for... 40 minutes or so, 45 minutes or so on a Sunday morning. Maybe the same amount of time on a Wednesday night. One VBS a year, some youth activities and so on. We have this small window of time as a church. Now, of course, families are doing more than that. But as a church, we have this opportunity to shape the minds and hearts of children in a focused kind of learning environment to help them learn about Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. It's an awesome thing. And we, as a church, value that. And we need to continue to, to value that. See, our, our, our children are growing up in a world. This has always been the case. The world has always been the world. The world has always been worldly. And it's worldly now. 
and our kids are growing up in an environment where they're learning a lot of stuff. They're learning it from social media, the, the, the pressure on, on kids, young kids these days from social media. Just you, you don't leave the peer pressure at school. You take it with you in your pocket when you go home because you've got this continued just pressure to conform and to, to get likes and, and to get shares and to get all this stuff. And so it, it's, just, it's just, you know, ubiquitous. It's, it's, it's all there, always there. And the lessons they're learning, you need to look like this. Your body needs to be shaped like that. Your face needs to look like this. You need to wear this style of clothing. You need to you know, walk like this, talk like this. You need to, and if you do that, you know, if, if your body looks like that, that photoshopped teenage girl on Seventeen Magazine, you know, if your face and body look like that, you're, you're worth something, you know. You've got, you've got value. Or if you can throw a fastball 90-something miles an hour, if you can shoot a jump shot this consistently, if you can run a 40-yard dash and just a hair over four seconds, if you can do that, you're worth something, you know? You, then you're, you're valuable. Or if you get out of high school with a 4.0 GPA and you make a 33 on your ACT, then you're worth something, you know? You've got inherent value. You, you're going to do something big in this world. Our world is shaping our kids, teaching them these lessons. And there's nothing wrong with being beautiful. There's nothing wrong with being intellectual. And there's nothing wrong with being athletic. But our world puts price tags on the wrong things. And it says these things are to be valued above all else. If you have these, or one of these, or two of these, then you're worth something. Where are they going to learn? They're worth something because they're created in God's image. They're not the product of hundreds of millions of years of unguided natural selection. That they were created by a loving and powerful and compassionate, merciful God. He formed them and shaped them in their mother's womb. And He loves them. Just as they are. Where are they going to learn that? They're learning it. Many of our children are learning these lessons at home. But of course, sometimes we have kids in our classes that aren't learning those lessons anywhere because maybe they don't have parents who are teaching them these lessons. We have an opportunity as a church to help train up a child. Parents have the ultimate responsibility, as you know. But so many children don't have both a mom and a dad who are teaching them these lessons. And we get them for an hour and a half a week. Tops, right? As a church, we get them for an hour and a half a week. We have an opportunity to be Jesus to them, to open their eyes to the lessons that he wants them to learn, to shape their little hearts and minds, and hopefully to chart them on a course from which they'll never depart. And they'll be lifelong worshipers and servants of Jesus Christ. That's the privilege that we have as a church. Practically what this means is it takes effort. And, and most churches, I think most organizations are, are like this. You've, you've heard the old adage, 10% of the people do 90% of the work or 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I mean, and, and typically across organizations that, that, you know, that's probably closer to the truth than we'd like it to be. And it's often true in churches as well that the bulk of the training of the children falls on a handful of people who are committed and dedicated and do a good job, but it's not fair for all that work to go on just a few. But when you are able to spread out the work among a majority of the congregation, it lets us be the church we want to be, and it lets parents to be the parents that they want to be. So often it falls on the younger 
parents, ex almost exclusive. I'm not saying that's true, and so many uh, people who aren't young parents have volunteered and have helped and continue to help in that way in this church. But, but so often it, it falls on them. It's, there can be kind of an attitude, well, I paid my dues. I taught my classes. You know, I, I did my time. You know, I, was in, I, I served my sentence. And I hope we don't frame it quite like that, but I did my time. And now I'm going to pass the baton on to the next generation. Uh, my Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't, it doesn't say that. It doesn't have this kind of retirement thing going on with our roles in the church. You don't, you don't get to a point where you say, okay, well, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of retired from this. I'm going to pass it on. The Bible doesn't have a retirement age for it. This is a, a lifelong thing. And, and, and we just as a church need to think about Individually, we need to think about how we can be involved in this great work. Train up a child. Parental responsibility. But the church can step in. That's, that's what we're trying to be as a church that steps in it says, moms and dads, we're going to help you. We're going to take them. We're going to organize this. We're going to fill these slots. We're going to do this work because we want to be a church that walks alongside good parents in training up their children. One of the great things we can do as a church is to help our children go to be with Jesus when this life is over. I mean, that, if that's not important work, I don't know what important work is. Let's be that kind of church. Let's continue being that kind of church. Let's grow in that work. If you're not a Christian this morning, the attitude Jesus says that you need to have is that of a child. Uh, you know, you take a four-year-old child, take a six-year-old child, and his spirit of, of accepting, of, of, of learning, of growing, that's what Jesus is saying, that we have that toward him. We don't have all the answers. We don't even know all the right questions. But ultimately, we, we've... We, come to the position of a child. We just accept at some point. Of course, God gives us plenty of evidence and he gives us plenty of reasons why, but at some point we come to this point where we say, Lord, I don't have all the answers, but I'm turning my life over to you. That's what he means when he says become like a child. So that's the spirit. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, what he invites you to do is to have the heart of a child and just say, I'm going to be one of yours, Lord. I'm going to come to you, and God will welcome you, and he will save you. So you put him on in the waters of baptism, turning away from your past, whatever that past involves. He will cleanse you and wash you, and he will take you and bless you. What a beautiful thing it is. We invite you to become a Christian today, or we invite you, if you've done that, to come back to him today if you have that need. Let's stand. Let's sing this song together. Days are filled with sorrow and care, hearts only in prayer. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, Jesus is very near. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, Calvary, Calvary. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, Jesus is
please. I'd like to welcome everyone out today and also happy Mother's Day for all the mothers here in the audience. Just uh, please pick up a bulletin on your way out. There's uh, a couple of announcements that I'll touch on today. The uh, Ahepa 3 worship service will not meet today. So if you regularly attend that, they will not meet today because of Mother's Day. And also, uh, Krista Smith, that's uh, Sandra Moss's mother, Jamie Starnes' grandmother. She was taken to the hospital, uh, I believe, last night. So. Uh, remember her in your prayers and also congratulations to to Jonathan and Susanna and, and uh, Landon, Gavin and Harper in the birth of a new son and brother and, and they are at home now so it's, it's, it's good to have them home and I know Wes has a well just uh, just briefly backing up to what Chuck had preached about, there is a sign-up list. Uh, you can go online, I believe it's in the third column of the bulletin, if you pick it up, and you can go online and sign up, so you need to hurry up and get there and get all the good spots. I know that John said about 15% of them had already been taken last week, but go ahead and, and uh, make your way over there and, and get signed up for the uh, teaching rotations. As Chuck mentioned, if we do spread it out, it, it is a, a lot better. I know Wes has an announcement to, to make, so I'll turn it over to him. Good morning, everyone. John did ask me to tell people that 20% of the slots are filled. So the good news is four out of five spots are still open. <laughs> so um, I know not everybody rushed at once. Um, also, Drew and I actually taught the kindergartners and first graders this morning all by ourselves. And we taught seven little girls the story of Esther, and no one left crying except for Drew. So, <laughs> all kidding aside, when you do teach, I mean, seriously, Drew and I really did teach the class, and I, I think it went well. Um, it's very simple to teach these classes. When you get there, the curriculum's already there and you kind of just show up, you read over this stuff, it's like a page and a half of material, and there's, there's instructions, it's, it's like a class in a box. So it's really simple, it's so simple that Drew and I can, can do it um, on a Sunday morning. So I would encourage you to do it. Um, Pam also mentioned, if you are interested, just to see what it's like, just come by and shadow a week or two. Um, we can walk you through how to do it. And there's four different themes, whether you wanna do the uh, lectures all the way down to a game room or create or there's the drama room if you want to do plays and stuff like that. Also John wanted me to mention uh, that if you do decide to keep teach uh, the little the smaller kids uh, those have been reduced just to one month commitments so you only have to do four Sundays or four Wednesdays you just select which one you would like to do. Um, this behind me there where you can sign up uh, please do it um, you know, we, we really need some help doing it, and uh, it would help the organizers stay on top of it, make their lives a little easier, and it would help the kids to see more people involved in their lives. I appreciate it. Thank you. Just a reminder to all of our ladies to make sure that after the uh, closing prayer that you will get your special flower. 
for uh, today. We hope that this, the flowers are not just for mothers, but for all of our ladies, because all of you are so much appreciated here and how you help our, our children and youth here at Hoover. So make sure you, you get that from our children. Thankful for your presence. We've had a really good, uh, wonderful service this morning to, uh, to our God. Our closing song will be 432. 432, and we'll sing the first and last verses of this song, and then we'll have our closing prayer. Would you stand, please? How shall approach your throne this morning we're humbled that you hear our prayers and we're humbled that you gave your son that he would sacrifice his life so that we can have the opportunity to spend forever with you in a place of rest we thank you for your love and your mercy upon us and we're thankful for this church that meets here we ask you to bless its leaders we ask you to bless us as members that will always strive as we hard as we can to bring you the power and the glory and the honor that you deserve father bless this church Bless us as individual families and bless us as a congregational family. Bless us with wisdom and with patience and with courage to always do what's right for you. It's through Jesus that we pray. Amen.